this morning, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to find ourselves tucked away in a little place here in Exodus. That's a very powerful moment for Israel. Uh, As you know, uh, if you've been with us for any time, that we actually are marching our way through the Old Testament, not in a systematic way, but instead, all year long, this entire year, we've, uh, we've been coming from our messages from the Old Testament. So, we, uh, we find ourselves here today in Exodus, in chapter 14, and uh, we're going to start reading with verse 26 and go to the end. Notice these words, this is the Word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is holy, and it is for us. And so, Lord, would You speak not just a human word this morning from me, but instead, Lord, would You speak Your Word to us And Spirit, would You empower our obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one thing that is helpful in going back to the Old Testament, which it shouldn't be the Old Testament as much as the Older Testament. It was the first one. It's the foundation. Uh, It's not outdated, uh, as we've said many times here before, but instead, it is just simply the older. It's the foundation. It's the, it's the bedrock of everything that else is going to be built in the New Testament that we love. And so, in uh, our passage today, it sort of reminds me, um, just going back to the Old Testament and getting sort of the big picture. Uh, so, my, uh, it's been raining quite a bit recently, and my truck had some old windshield wipers on it, apparently, or just some really cheap ones, and it was smearing everything all over the windshield, so everywhere I'm driving, you know, I'm kind of just having to turn it all the way up, you know, even though it's just sprinkling. Well, I finally stopped by last night and got me some new windshield wipers, and I mean, it was quite an experience when I put those those bad boys on there. I mean, it, it just one wipe and everything's gone, and it was all of a sudden cleared. It's like somebody even cleaned my window. Uh, everything seemed to be clearer. Well... That's what I'm trying to say concerning going back to the Old Testament. When we go back to the foundation, things become clearer. I've oftentimes heard of coaches in football. When the football team goes awry, and when things are not going well, and it should be, that he goes back to the basics, reminding them. Even one coach, I don't know who it was, but he came back out to the team after they lost a game, and he said, this is a football. (laughs) Going back to the basics. This is how you run the ball. 
This is how you tuck the ball. If you can do the basics, then you can do the grand stuff as well. Sometimes we get caught up in the grand stuff, which seems to be all exploding and happening in the New Testament, but to the demise of the basics which are found in the Old Testament. If you notice in our reading today, we find ourselves in the history of Israel. Uh, Abraham has already received the promise that there will be a land. Then you have Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and none of them entered into that land. They found themselves actually in Egypt at the end of Genesis, and you turn from Genesis to Exodus and you skip over 400 years. That much. Just one page, 400 years. Uh, and you find that they are enslaved by the Egyptians. And then God calls a man named Moses to be His man, His servant, as you just heard here uh, at the very end of the reading. And He calls him to actually go and deliver the people out of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh, upon this request, let my people go, says, well, who in the world sent you and why would I do that? Well, when he asked that question, Moses responds back with the word that God had given him at the burning bush, which was, Yahweh has sent me. Yahweh meaning, I am, or I will be who I will be, or I am who I am. It's, it's really all of those things. He's the definer. And so, Pharaoh makes the mistake of saying, I've never heard of Yahweh. I don't know who that is. And so, ten plagues later, Pharaoh knows who Yahweh is. Yahweh has defeated at least ten of the gods of Egypt. They would have worshipped the Nile. They would have worshipped certain gods that of the sky and of the sun, of course. And so he destroys them all and delivers them with great power. As you see here, even finally, they kind of get up to this uh, sort of uh, geographical boundary, if you will, which is the Red Sea. And now they cross through the Red Sea and the others are closed off. They are entering into new life. Just as baptism through water and by water is a sign of new life, so too now they pass through the waters of baptism by the Red Sea and they pass through on dry ground and reach the other side looking toward a home. They're homeward bound. Finally, they're thinking, we get to go to the land. Finally, we are going to be able to leave Egypt and receive and and see the promises of Abraham come to fruition. They're right on the cusp. Uh, It's not that long of a journey uh, across uh, from there to the Levant, uh, which is where they would have been. Um, By the way, you may not know the term Levant, but that's basically where Israel and Palestine all is right there. It's called the Levant. That's actually where you get Issel from. You know, you've heard Issus and Issel. Issel is Islamic State in Levant. So it's in that area is where they want to be. So anyway, that's a side note, sorry. But that is uh, important to understand. Here they are looking toward that land because guess what? God tagged that land. God said, that's my land. And ever since that point, it has been in conflict. Hasn't it? Isn't it in conflict currently? Even now, Muslims rule the temple in Jerusalem. They're the ones who are caretakers of the temple in Jerusalem. And so, yes, it's, it's a, the Jews live there, but the Muslims are actually the ones caring for the temple currently. And so, you know, 
back up in time, and now they're trying to get into the land, and they it's within sight. It's just within sight now. God has delivered them in a mighty way, and now He says, look, I have delivered, I've saved you. Notice verse 30. <clears throat> and you've seen the great power which I've done this, and they've believed in the Lord and His servant. That's important, because God always is sending a servant, whether in the form of a prophet, whether in the form of Moses... Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Finally, Isaiah in his prophecies sees a servant of servants. I mean a servant with a capital S. And that servant will one day come and he will die for us in our place and bring us to the true homeland. And so we are on a journey. We are, as the the title of this message is, we're homeward bound. And it's not a very long message. It's not a very complicated message. We are homeward bound. We could you really just simply say we're homeward, which means we're looking toward home. But that would raise a question, wouldn't it? Where's home? What's home? And even a deeper question, what is home for you? Sounds even relativistic, but yet a real question. We all make our home somewhere. We all feel at home somewhere. You ever felt out of place before? Like you just really didn't feel like this was your home? Uh, I felt that way in India. Uh, You know, I I was literally the only white person around billions of Indians that I could see. And where I was, none. Now in Bangalore, a couple, I saw like maybe three the whole time I was there. But where I was, zero. So everybody, all eyes on me. All the little kids look at me like, what is that? What's he doing? And I see their moms, hey, don't, don't, don't stare, don't stare, don't stare. You know, and, the, and the guys with me from the co- uh, college and seminary, they're all laughing because everybody's looking at me because I don't fit in. I don't look like them. I don't talk like them. They have sort of a British Indian English, which is, let me tell you, hard to understand. Now, I know, I know the South can be hard to understand as well. But, but nonetheless, I was not at home. And you know what? You've been on the trips before too. You've come back home. And if you've been on international trips at all, you see that American flag. You see that welcome to the United States. And something just says, I'm home. And in that sweet tea, bring it on. Fried chicken, bring it on. For the South, I'm home now. You know, peas and cornbread, I feel at home. Eating uh, red chicken curry it wasn't much at home. I've never seen red chicken. I mean, literally red. I'm not talking about like a former red or got some spice. It was red. Uh, fascinatingly enough, I didn't feel at home. And in this world, we don't and should not feel at home. If you remember the scripture reading from last week in Ecclesiastes, it said God has placed eternity within our hearts. And you know what? Eternity is not satisfied with the temporal. Not with just stuff with eating and drinking and the, and the things that, of even the care of the body that we have to do and the maintenance of, of going here and doing that. All that stuff is important and must be done, but that doesn't satisfy us. You can watch your favorite show. You can do your favorite activities. You can have the best thing in the world happen to you. Win as much money as you want or be whoever you wanted to be. And yet you would still find that that is not enough because this life 
is not enough. Under the sun will never satisfy you. It's beyond the sun, our heavenly home that will satisfy us in the end. And when you have that heavenly joy, nothing is better than that. No amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of prestige or what have you. Joy is enough. So, if we're going to be homeward, we got to leave. Uh-huh. Got to leave. Um, you know, I uh, every great journey, uh, and you know this, starts with one step. You know, every great race starts with the first step. You don't make the first step. You don't get off the couch. You don't actually motivate yourself to get going, and you're not ever going to get there. You know, there's been some really amazing things that have happened, but if the person never started, it would have never come about. And I know the task looks daunting. Sometimes we just want to stay in bed, so to speak, in our spiritual lives. You say, there's too much work to be done. This is impossible. But I remind you that all things are possible with God, and the first step of faith is where He's going to meet you. It's leaving the front door. It's leaving what is familiar to us. It's leaving the gods of Egypt behind. It's leaving some of the comfort of Egypt behind. It's always fascinating to me, and I joke with Jessica often. I say, I, I say to her, I kind of hear, you know, when the Israelites complain, uh, when they're out in the desert, you know, like, they're not there yet. They're about to enter the desert time where they're traveling. But they're going to get there and they're going to start complaining. And one of the things they say is, man, I really wish we had some more of those onions from Egypt. And I tell Jessica, I can understand that. Onions are, I love onions. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge onion fan, especially when dishes and stuff. I'm a huge onion fan. I can understand. If you, if you went out onions for 40 years, you'd be thinking about that. Now, the problem was they weren't also thinking about the slavery that came with the onions, with the leisure. Sometimes we trade leisure, entertainment, comfort for slavery. We're willing to stay in the cage as long as we've got our TV. As long as we've got our entertainment. As long as we've got our food. One of the things that was shocking to me, I read a portion of Ezekiel. And it said that one of the problems in Sodom and Gomorrah was an excess of food. Now who would have ever thought that? kind of reminds me of the book and movie Hunger Games where a society is obsessed with eating and entertainment. And of course that comes from a a Roman poet who while watching Rome fall and crumble said, if you want to control people, give them bread and circuses or food and entertainment. You give them those two things, then they're just going to be zombies. They'll never do anything. They'll be in a prison of their own house and doing and yet... They'll, they'll be literally rocked to sleep by Satan himself and end up in hell one day wondering, what happened? They were asleep at the wheel the whole time. Don't be asleep at the wheel. Wake up. Understand that you've got to leave. Understand that you're going to have to leave things behind. Um, understand that, that the gods that we coddle with in the past cannot be our go-to. We all have things that if we were to get rejected, we would immediately go to. We go to our safe place. 
our default position. In other words, if somebody makes you angry, or if someone, if, if something, if you're rejected by someone, or if you're fired, then you go to this safe place. If you're by yourself, if, if your wife and you are having problems, or husband and you have, then you go to this place. What is that for you? What is home? Because that's home base. That's where you really want to be. You may be the best Christian on the outside, but where do you go home to? Who do you sleep with, really? And this is what the prophets ask, in particular Ezekiel, who's actually a priest, so he should be proper, and yet he says, who are you in bed with? Because you've been whoring around on God. You've been sleeping with other gods. And so I ask you, if we're going to leave, if we're going to be homeward, We've got to leave behind what we know. Leave behind what is comfortable to us. Leave behind sort of our security blankets. Go on to greater things. Go on to heavenly things. Our heavenly home. Now the second thing is this. If we're going to leave, then that means we're now on a journey. We're sojourners, if you will. And so there's going to need to be a walking with God. That's really the best way that the Bible talks about it. We walk with God. Enoch walked with God and then God took him. Abraham, it says, walked with God. Moses walked with God. On and on and on they walk with God. Why? Because this is not our home. This is not our final destination. We are walking toward our final destination. We are on a journey with God and other people. And what a blessing it is. Isn't it to have brothers and sisters that accompany you on this journey? Think of the fellowship of the ring. For those of you who are catching it. Uh, Here's Frodo that has to go on this journey. He knows he has to do it. And yet these others accompany him and ultimately um, sacrifice themselves for his sake. They give up their life. They give up what they wanted to do to come alongside the others. And what a beautiful story of friendship Tolkien actually points us to, which is absolutely biblical. We have to have sojourners with us. We're not meant to walk those roads alone. And what a joy when someone joins hands with you and joins the Spirit with you because that's what identifies I mean, I love when, when a brother or a sister of mine that I don't even know, and I'm off somewhere, and we just we hit it off immediately because why? It's not that we just like the same things. It's because of the same Spirit within us. We're on the same journey in different places, maybe a little further down the road, but yet still on the journey that is before. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims looking for our true home. And... It's interesting when you look at Israel, again, which should be, you know, they sort of have already walked the road. So now we look to them and say, okay, what can we learn from them walking it? Here's what's fascinating. It took God about 40 days to get them out of Egypt, roughly. It's about 40 days to get them out of Egypt. I mean, you have to understand, Egypt was a world power, a superpower. All right? and, and God, 40 days, my people are out. Now, they didn't even fight them. Think about that. They never drew a sword. And yet God delivered them with mighty acts in His power. 
40 days. Now, but the problem was, the problem that you begin to see once they get past this point, because this point we're like, yeah, they're saved and they're going to do well and they're about to enter the land. Uh, No, they're not. They're going to get up to the land, the border of the land, and refuse to believe God, refuse to go into the land. And so God sends them on a 40-year journey. Why? Because God may have delivered them in 40 days from Egypt, but it took Him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. That's why. What they found was they were thinking like the Egyptians. They didn't know how bad they had gotten. Just like my windshield wiper. I, had no, I mean, I, I was just kind of cruising along and then Jessica was like, your truck, really, you can't see out of that thing. And then once I got the new ones on, wow, I didn't realize how bad this was until you have the good. And they didn't realize how Egyptian they really were. They pull up to Mount Sinai. God says, hey guys, I'm going to reveal myself. Moses goes up for 40 days and they say, okay, well, let's worship God. Let's make an idol. And call it Yahweh. God says, you can't do that. You can't make an image of me. Nothing in this world is me. It's my creation. You don't worship the creation. You worship the Creator. So it took God 40 years to get that Egyptian thinking out of them. And then they finally, with this new generation, take the land in Joshua. And then guess what they do? fall right back into thinking that old way. The Christian journey is about remembering. You ought to just do a word study sometime in your own Bible time about how many times God says, remember, 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 remember. These books are books of remembrance. This table, what does it say? Do this in remembrance of me. This meal is done in remembrance of Him. This baptism, your baptism, is done in remembrance. If we can remember, then we can stay on the right track. We have spiritual ADD too much though, and we squirrel. We look the other way. We, we get distracted. We get caught up in the things of the world, and that's all we can see is what's right in front of us. We are not on a homeward Slant. We're not homeward bound. Before we were saved, we walked according to the course of this world. But after we are saved, we go in another direction. We're no longer going in the same direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning around. Just like in a math problem, you know, again... You know, this, you're, like, you're like, whoa, whoa, don't go there now, bro. I know, I know your math skills, you know. Yeah, I know, it's scary. So if you're doing a math problem, I do know this. If you're doing a big math problem, you know, you get about halfway through it and something's wrong. If you continue at that point to go forward, it's never going to get corrected. Like you're never going to actually correct that problem if you did math wrong at the beginning or somewhere in the middle. And you just say, oh, well, if I just keep going, it'll, it'll work out in the end. It won't. It'll never work out in the end. You have to go back. You have to turn around. Which is the same point with repentance. Repentance is turning around. Repentance is going back to the source. Going back to the basics. God. He is the Creator. I am not. You see, um, 
We are pilgrims and strangers, exiles and aliens in this world. And yet we welcome strangers and exiles and aliens into our life, into our church. We're never a closed body. Your, your family should never be a closed family. You should adopt people all over the place, not just in a legal way, but I mean spiritually. I'm, I'm telling you, people in this church right now are spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, spiritual brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. We should attach ourselves to each other in this way because we're sojourning as a family. We have the same God. We have the same Spirit. We have the same baptism. We have the same meal, the same loaf that we share. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians. And so the mystics try to go and hide and be holy. But you cannot be holy by hiding in a hole. It's not what makes you holy. Uh, John Wesley actually said that there is no holiness without social holiness. In other words, you cannot be holy just by yourself. In your own head or in your own house closet by yourself. No, where holiness is seen in how you treat your wife or, or husband. How you treat your kids. It's how you treat your boss. It's how you treat your employees. It's how you treat the cashier. It's how you treat those who serve you at restaurants. That's where holiness is played out. Not in some kind of, I want to be a statue, and if I just don't do anything today, then I can be holy. No, it's how you interact with others. Which is why Wesley then defines it as perfect love. It's perfect love. It's loving people with a perfect heart. That's it. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Love? It absolutely is. And it's the only thing that's going to get us through this thing together as we join hands and walk this faith. So, finally, our final destination. What is that? What is the final destination? Where are we really headed? (laughs) Well, they're going to the land, but the land is representative of something more. And that is God's kingdom. The heavenly kingdom. And oftentimes we think, okay, yeah, we're going to a place up there, and that just means that, you know, we just got to get this old body off of us, and then we can just, and then we start being dualists. We start ripping apart the body, saying that matter is bad and spirit is good, and that's not what the Bible says at all. The land is a physical place, isn't it? The body is a physical thing, isn't it? Here's what is the reality. The temple pointed to this temple. The land pointed to the land God has given you. That's your sphere of influence. The ark pointed to Himself. The ark that Noah got into. The ark that was made for Moses to go down the river. The ark that becomes Jesus, who is our saving guide through the sea. They pass through the sea here. If we're on the sea, which we are, on troubled waters, we got to make sure that we're not in the sea, but instead on the sea with Him in His boat, in His ark. Those who actually connected themselves to Noah were saved. Those who connected themselves with Moses and the Israelites were saved. And those who connect themselves with Jesus will be saved. That's the big picture. I told you, this is, not, this is not difficult. He's actually given us two signs to point to where home is. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We enter into His life through dying to ourself. 
You're not going to be able to be God. I hate it for you. You're not God. You're not self-directed. You're not self-created. You're not self-determining. We have a higher power. (laughs) I use that in, in a Christian way. To say, I am not God, but I come under His rulership. His authority. He's the boss. He's the true pastor of this church. He is our shepherd. And we enter into that new life that He has provided Himself by dying and being risen again, forgiven of our sins, sanctified by His grace. You see, He not only wants to deliver us from Egypt, but He wants to get Egypt out of us. And that's what we call sanctification. Being made holy. We all have things that, that you know, are from that old life where we left that He must then remove through the process of purging. And then we have the Lord's Supper, which is for us bread for the journey. Now again, forgive me, but if you remember in Lord of the Rings, they have this thing called... Help me out, Christopher. What is it called? Yes. Yes. Yes, say it again. Lamas bread. Yes, L-E-M-A-S. Um, and this bread, can, you can just eat a little bit of it and it's a whole meal for the day. You know, Tolkien, I really believe, had in mind this meal. Because God has given us a meal for the bread for the Just as He says, I gave you manna in the desert, now He gives us this bread from heaven. That you have an opportunity to put in your body today. You see, our faith is not something that's just invisible. We're not just looking for an invisible home. Here's what Jesus says when He comes. He says, the kingdom of God, and they're all thinking, oh yeah, that's going to be this or that. The kingdom of God is in you. Heaven is not some far distant place that we long to be at and we wish we weren't here. Heaven is right here and we don't even see it. Amen. Right in here because where God is, that's where heaven is. Heaven is not something other than God. You know what's fascinating about the Old Testament? They never have a picture of heaven. You're not going to find a picture of heaven in the Old Testament. They don't really talk about death at all. And when they do talk about it, like the psalmist... Is Sheol. You go down, not up, to the place of the dead. The place of the dead is down, and it's a place of shadows. So the Jews never had some hope of some other alternate reality called heaven, like what we've made it. And I think that's a corrective on our understanding of heaven, too. Heaven is not going to be some odd place that's so ulterior to this world, it's going to be a lot like this world. Didn't you read in Revelation, streams, there's a garden, there's a city, there's a temple. It's going to look a lot like this. Heaven is where Jesus is and heaven can be in your heart today. You can come home today. Today you can feel at home wherever you are, no matter where you're sojourning, because heaven can reside in you. Matthew is the only one who uses this term kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God. It's the same, but he uses heaven. Heaven can be in here. I'll end with this story. There's a story of, of a missionary couple that was coming home uh, from a long, you know, they were in Africa and, and just arduous work and, 
you know, self-sacrifice. And they were on a boat back to New York. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt, President Teddy Roosevelt, was actually coming back as well on that same boat. And there was a lot of fanfare coming into New York. You know, there was a band playing when they got there. And, and, the, and the man, you know, it was a couple. The man was just like, ah, just, I mean, here we are serving God. And this guy just went on, a, on an expedition in Africa. He killed a couple things and everybody's rejoicing that he's returning and nobody cares that we return. And his wife said, well, honey, you really shouldn't, you really shouldn't feel like that. You know, I don't know if that's, that's really right to think like that. Well, he, that night they went and ate a meager meal, you know, while, of course, Teddy Roosevelt feasted. And that night he just broke. He couldn't handle it anymore. He said, I just, God, you know, I, this is too much. I mean, here's a guy that, what has he done, you know, in the, in the eternal grand scheme of things? And look at what we've done. And we, no one's praising us. No one's saying anything about us. And he said, he said this. He said, uh, I'll just read it to you. He said, uh, the Lord, he, his wife came in the next morning and said, well, dear, you know, what happened last night when you told God about, you know, your situations? And he said, the Lord settled it with me. He said, I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put His hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. You see, there's coming a day, and what a day it will be, when my Jesus, I will see, and I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. And when He takes me by the hand, I mean literally, Jesus' hand, clasp in mine. <laughs> and He leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. If you're faithful, you'll get your homecoming. If you're faithful, you'll have all the saints of all time cheering you on as you walk through those gates, as you walk through that door of eternity. What a day that will be. But we've got to remain faithful. We're on a journey, but we're doing it together here at Harvest Point. We're in it together. What a day. Is heaven in your heart? It can be. Amen.